The year is 1989. I'm Dave. I'm Zach. And this is My Marvelous Year. Hello, and welcome to My Marvelous Year. This is 1989 Part 3. My Marvelous Year is the show where we go through Marvel Comics from its origins to today on curated lists year by year through the 10 most essential stories. Typically, typically the 10 most essential stories. Now, we are in 1989. We're wrapping up the 80s. And in Part 3 today, we're going to be talking about Incredible Hulk, Wolverine, and Captain America stories. Some big ones here as well. Well, I'm Dave, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. I am joined today by an individual wearing an eye patch who, honestly, I've never met before. How is it going, uh, Senor Patch? Lift up, Patch. It's me. Oh, it's Zach. Zach. I was here Holy all moly. <laughs> Schnicked. Schnicked. That was a very German way of, of Wolverine's claws popping. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In um, America, it's schick, but in Germany, it's schnick. Yeah. <laughs> Hard schnicked. Uh, how's it going, Zach? Uh, did it's you good. enjoy 1989 Part 3 comics? Yeah, yeah, overall. I like these. There, there's, uh, well, I don't know. It, it's an okay year. No, nothing nothing, uh, <laughs> nothing that uh, that dragged me down too much. I, I didn't Starts love strong, all of it. backs but... off quickly. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's really fine. <laughs> show him. Uh, yeah, no, it's interesting. Yeah, it's a, bunch interesting of, batch. a bunch of stinkers. A bunch of stinkers is what I'll say. No, no, they're fine. Um, no, it, we good. read, so we got Peter David, Incredible Hulk continuing. So we got the, the era of Joe Fix-It. Now we're post- Todd McFarlane, so that's definitely going to change the Hulk landscape uh, significantly, right, on the art side. And then we get into Wolverine, where we're actually going to get Chris Claremont writing initially with some interesting art changes from John Buscema. We got some Bill Sienkiewicz involvement, uh, definitely on the ink side of things as well. And then actually Peter David's going to take over writing there before we wrap up the Captain Saga in Captain America with a big oversized 350th issue. I include the 351st issue here as well. Now, if you like going through these comics with us on the My Marvelous Year journey, you can find all the comics we're reading in the show notes. Okay, uh, you can get access to the master spreadsheet via Patreon.com/slash/MyMarvelousYear for as little as one dollar a month of your support, which we greatly appreciate. You can see the whole thing from 1961 to present day, uh, or no, I guess it goes to 2010 right now, but it's gonna go to it present will. day eventually. Yeah. Yeah. It will. Um, and uh, what else can you do? If you like the show, please consider rating and reviewing on iTunes. It helps yeah, us please. out a ton. I usually don't do this on here, but we don't have a variant cover um, for a little bit. So I just want to give a shout out to a very sweet review we just got from uh, Backer Sicily. Thank you. Yeah. Um, thank you so much. You left us a very, very nice and uh, very, very heartwarming review. So thank you. Oh, I thought you were going to read it. Oh, I could. I could read no, it. No, no, it's fine. I just, like, you seemed prepared for once and all right I, now here, now here i did have it pulled i was up i, I was excited it. i was happy <clears throat> here we go no, here I'm we go my marvelous year is a comic book for the marvel for marvel comics the podcast goes through the most important marvel comics from the golden age to the 2000s the hosts dave and zach 
are so fun to listen to, like bickering best forever buddies. Aww. Even when I don't <laughs> read the current comics, I still listen to this every episode just to laugh and have a good time listening to the comic boys. I like being called comic boys. That's um, fair, yeah. But this podcast is now a part of a bigger community as patrons can join the Slack channel. That's hopping. For free, you can join the conversation on other social media platforms. If you like comics, check them out now. Yeah, Cicely actually writes a lot of, um, she likes like long form reviews of the comics that we're reading on like Instagram and her Goodreads account, which is very fun to read. She, uh, nice. She's very thoughtful for, uh, feedback. Thank okay, you for yeah. the review. Uh, if those of you who are interested in doing the same would consider it, we may uh, we may read your review on a future variant or. Uh, oh, we also did episode. some. I, someone also called us uh, the best sports podcast out there. That's a good one. That's <laughs> a very Je- good Joe one. Murph, number yeah. one sports podcast. Two big boys hosting the number one sports co- podcast in the world. I love that one. Do you think they got confused, or are they just making an amazing? Joke? I think they're just making a funny joke. Yeah, I, I would agree. All right, so let's dig into it. Uh, first comics we're at today: Incredible Hulk three fifty two. Two three fifty four. Uh, this is writer Peter David. We got pencils here by Jeff Perves. Uh, I'm gonna go Pervase because I don't like calling him a perv, but <laughs> I don't perv. actually know. <laughs> uh, Inker Terry per- Austin Purvis. colors by Petros. It might, it might be Pervis. That would work. Probably better. <laughs> I don't know if that's even. true either. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, sure. Jeff. Um, sorry, Jeff. Uh, but this. Uh, so we continue the saga of Joe Fixit now. Issue three fifty two is a like follow-up to that Harlan Ellison-written yeah. Hulk story yeah. we read from way back when in Jarella's world in the Microverse. Mm-hmm. And then 353 and 354, we get to the Joe Fix-It as Las Vegas Enforcer side of things, which is actually the first couple Wolverine issues we're going to read as well. I will say for my money of the Joe Fix-It stuff we read this batch, I like the Wolverine stories the best, actually. Um, they're Chris Claremont-written. Uh, they're a... Wolverine and Joe Fixit in Madripoor in Lowtown and kind of the seedy criminal underside of the Marvel Universe and Wolverine just constantly like playing pranks on the Hulk. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're quite fun. The David and uh, Jeff stuff <laughs> does uh, not succeed as much for me, but I still like the Joe Fixit era I, a fair amount. I really like the the microverse issue the one microverse issue we read i think is a ton mm-hmm. of fun him going back there but now as like gray hulk right like he's a totally different yeah. persona um and like they it, it's been like he went there once and everybody in the microverse worships him as a god right like hulk is this god and now that he's gray there's this grand inquisitor who is pretending that he, he's saying that the new gray hulk is the imposter and you know he's the the true voice of hulk <laughs> right like he's yeah. the, the hulk pope and yeah. um you know this, uh, and, and it's just the Gray Hulk going through, like invading the land, driving out the imposters at the behest of these other like rebels or whatever, who then double cross him and like send him back. It's fun. I like, I just like um, Gray Hulk basically, and I like seeing him. You know, he, he's like he's pretty smart, but he still can be kind of fooled by like tickling his ego, right? Mm-hmm. I, that's like his big weakness is he's got this huge head. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I had fun with this. I, I have to say, I didn't realize that Todd McFarlane was off of it until, like, the second the second <laughs> really? issue. But my thought was, like, because, you know what? I, I don't think he's that big of a change except in the way that the Hulk looks. I was just, like, I had this moment of, like, man, the Hulk just looks weird here. Like, what's what's up with this? Like, McFarlane's <laughs> really switching his style here. Yeah, and then, yeah. uh, I mean, I think it's they keep the same colorer and inker. Terry Austin is here inking. And... It's not, it's not like, it's not like a crazy switch by any measure but it's I a weird hulk though the, he, he draws a different a very different hulk than you see anywhere else um yeah i, I yeah, like i like fair. this hulk i think he's kind of a weird uh like amphibian looking like he's kind of froggy looking yeah his I eyes mean, are very right wide apart ironically like 
as much as I prefer McFarlane's art, you know, that, yeah. that was just kind of something else, um, I prefer the Gray Hulk Joe Fixit stories, typically. I mean, to define the different persona you're talking about, like, he's not a mastermind, you know, intellect, but he's got yeah. kind of street smarts. He becomes yeah. more Ben mm-hmm. Grimmish, you know, but mm-hmm. also, like, totally. but nastier, you know, like the mm-hmm. Las Vegas enforcer with, you know, mob aficionados and whatnot. Like, that suits him quite well. Um, so he's smart, you know, he knows what he's doing. But again, like you said, he does get conned here. Like, it's not like he's, again, this genius mastermind, but he's still, the, you know, got the Hulk strength. Um, it's a good switch. It's a good change of pace from the Hulk that we are all too familiar with, I think. And as we progress through to like 353 and 354, then with the Hulk kind of dealing with the criminal side of, of Las Vegas and whatnot, you do get a really nicely defined sort of new vision for the series where it's like day is Bruce Banner's time, night is when Joe Fixit comes out. And Joe Fixit kind of takes all these measures to try to, like, keep Bruce Banner under wraps, right? Like sedating him, we see in the pages of Wolverine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then when Bruce gets out, as he does in, in one of these Hulk stories, then Bruce figures out, like, he's been out of it for three months, basically. Like, Joe yeah. Fixit has been bouncing around for three months since the leader's bomb went off back in that um, Incredible Hulk story we read not too long ago. So it's a, it's an interesting sort of switched-up dynamic. We get the introduction of some importing new uh, supporting characters in Incredible Hulk, such as Marlo Chandler, who's going to be a big Peter David favorite across his many series. So, I mean, all in all, it's like, uh, I, I, if you like Hulk, these stories are quite important. Uh, they're quite... Uh, they're quite good, and like this selection that we read, aside from 352, which is that callback to the Ellison uh, issue, which obviously is like a standout in Hulk lore. Um, you could really read almost anything from this year, and like they have a similar vibe and tone and and level of like significance. I would say. Can I? I, I didn't know anything about Marlo Chandler. I just googled her real quick, and you can sure. tell me if this is a spoiler, and I'll bleep it out. Um, but she uh she both dates Rick Jones and Moon Dragon. <laughs> which is like you can you can yeah. pick a pair that i have like more opposite feelings towards <laughs> you despise rick and and love moon dragon yeah. um so yeah i'm i'm actually curious now to gauge your reaction to which one of them uh went her <laughs> hand in marriage <laughs> that's pretty funny um yeah yeah I, I actually kind of feel a little tired of the joe fix it era at this point i kind of feel already like li- wow yeah i'm already kind of just like I, I don't know. I, I feel like I already had my fill of him hanging out in Vegas and just dealing with mobsters and stuff. Like, it, it's not that it's bad or worse. I'm just, like, already, like, ready for something new. That's why I liked him in the, uh, like, I think think it was a fun change of pace. Like, I clearly liked it when we first started reading it. But I'm kind of like, all right, I think I'm ready for him to move on to a new set of circumstances. Um, I think the, the trickiest thing with Joe Fixit era for me is is a is a sense and a feel for like what's the long game here like where are we going with this because you can only do so many monster of the week stories you know mm-hmm. before it's really kind of losing some of its luster i mean i think like tonally i we have decades of og big dumb green hulk yeah, right yeah. no so no for I'm me, not, it's I'm, like i don't have I'm a problem with for... the switch to this character but no. him literally sitting in las vegas doing yes. similar things i mean I, I actually think that's i guess we can just kind of transition but i think that's a part of what makes the wolverine stories the standouts for me like I like seven and eight an awful lot because it gets him out of Las Vegas it gets him to Madripoor it's a similar scene but it's also Joe fix it back on his heels because Wolverine's the one in control right he's the lead character he's pranking Hulk um it's a funny issue it's smart and it's Claremont it, it's Claremont having fun in the Excalibur way but in Wolverine so it's a lot more grounded and less clownish you know eight eight is the standout issue for me it's got that like great cover 
right? Of uh, of the two of them standing in suits, like back to back, looks like a buddy comedy. Like that is an all time great. It is. It is absolutely. Um, I'm trying to get the credits on it. It is John Buscema doing the cover. It's yeah. it's perfect. The proportions are great. Wolvie and Hulk in those white suit and tie yeah. look uh, or suit and bow tie look. Yeah, it's awesome. Really good. Oh, before I forget, um, I think it's 14 through 16. Is that Mike uh-huh. Mignola doing the covers? On the covers? Yeah, because it doesn't say anywhere who does the cover art, but like that looks you like You know, Mignola. I thought it looked like him too. No, it's Kevin Nolan on 14. Okay, maybe maybe later. Oh no. All right. No, this is who I thought it was. 14 is the one that I thought was uh was Minula. Okay, they just have a very similar style. Um because that looks like kind of like before he really dug into Hellboy. Um Right, we are going to get Mike Mignola pre-Hellboy uh, coming up. Is it next episode even? I have Doctor to. I have Strange, to ask Doctor you this. Doom this is Triumph a total torment. aside that I might cut out. Uh, I'm doing the my DC year, you know, list, still chipping away at that. And uh-huh. uh, do you know about Cosmic Odyssey? Is that a well-known comic? <laughs> yes, I know about Co- Jim Starlin, Mike Mignola. Uh, it's it's pretty good. I liked it. Yeah. I had no idea it existed, and I was like, all right, what's next on my list to check out? And I was like, oh my god, Jim Starlin doing a new God stories, writ- <laughs> like drawn by Mike Mignola. And I read the yeah. first issue, and it like absolutely lived up to all those expectations that that creative team. Yeah, I, I like Cosmic like, Odyssey a fair amount. So, it definitely doesn't get as much, nearly as much hype. Yeah, I don't yeah, hear anyone talking about events. it. Like, and it's. It, it's got ramifications though even that that get brought it up a lot. It's very good. Okay. Um so I actually kind of here's the thing. I don't think these Wolverine issues are bad. I think they feel kind of inessential and they feel like maybe it's just well, a Well the entire Wolverine thing. series hasn't has a lack of essentialness. To yeah, it, well it, it's not just that like essential for the larger universe. It's inessential in that like I'm kind of just like what so what's the takeaway here? What's the point? Like, what what really draws me in here? Because the the thrust of these is like, if you want to see Wolverine taken down, pimps, drug dealers, and vampires in the slums of a Southeast Asian city. If that sounds cool to you, these <laughs> yeah. are good comics. That does not sound yeah. cool to me, and it is not. It does not like you know surpass well, my expectations for what that would be. With the exception of like, I like him and Hulk bouncing off each other. That issue yes. like worked for me because of the Hulk. Besides that, I kind of like... Was well, 7 and 8 bored. are the standouts for me. 10 is yeah, actually very interesting. We'll cut to 10 in a second here. Yeah. But it, it, him, Wolverine having Hulk to bounce off, yeah. especially as Joe Fix-It, helps a ton. Yeah. Um, yep. Because it brings in that broader Marvel Universe. And it also, like, just... It kind of reminds you, like, Wolverine's reach. You know? Because this is a series that... that diminishes the reach right we're not talking x-men they don't come they don't cameo i mean madripoor, um, he's got his network is madripoor of supporting characters <laughs> like what is there, is there something to madripoor that i should find interesting it's just like he well didn't it's want... the i mean it's the hive of scum and villainy in the marvel universe right i mean that's that often like having someone dealing with that criminal element i mean that's that's a huge part of wolverine stories it's a huge part of punisher stories not mm-hmm. in madripoor obviously um but that's i mean that's a fairly standard thing i would say in a fictional universe to have like your you know island of criminals you know See, like, it, it, i don't know seems... it does it, like it doesn't even read as like being quite as bad as like gotham right like gotham i feel like they sell better you know at this like i, I never really got i got the idea that it has like it's a well, corrupt... gotham's much bigger yeah it's a gotham's corrupt, much bigger like, in being like corrupt from society. top down but still operating as <laughs> an american city right whereas yeah. madripoor's something else entirely i mean i i, I, I didn't agree with you and i've said in the past the like i don't think saying. wolverine as a solo series is incredible. I do think what you just said, though, has has two streams, even though you lumped it together. There are kind of two tones that Wolverine takes in the early going. There is Wolverine v. Crime, mm-hmm. and there's Wolverine v. Supernatural, right? The vampire stuff is, yeah. like, vampires doing crime, but also, like, 
I I kind of lose it. I lose attention with the supernatural stuff in Magic mm-hmm. Oddly yeah. enough, it's not. I'm not anti-vampire story. I think Wolverine vs. Vampires has its place, but it gets kind of lumped in. And I actually tend to prefer Wolverine just sort of like busting up. I don't know, just like just kind of messing with like the. I don't. know, He's like the daredevil of it, of Madripoor. No, well, you know, yes, yeah, it, it made me actually think. I was like, what what is the the situation I like to see Wolverine in? Because I didn't care about like Wolverine here, right? Like I had a hard time mm-hmm. getting re- you know, and it's just like he's one of those characters I like seeing bounce off other characters that I like, but I have yeah. a hard time figuring out what I want him to do solo. Like, what is a good role for him by by himself that does not bore me? Right, like the the few That's I can a tough think of that ask, work actually. is like old man Logan. Like I had fun with that, you know. Like he's yeah. pretty solo there. Uh, I don't know. Like besides that, I have a hard time thinking of like outside of the X Men. You know, and I haven't read that much to be fair. So you know, someone will surprise me. I'm sure. Well, um, it is an interesting question, I think, actually, because it it becomes the central question for for any ongoing Wolverine series. I mean, it is that thing of we've talked about this with the X Men in the past, but like they don't really work. I don't think particularly well when you take them out and you put them in a Spider-Man or a Daredevil role Mm -hmm. and you're like, oh, solo hero stopping crimes like that's not really how we've enjoyed or how I've enjoyed X-Men typically like Wolverine is he's a part of that team as much as he's the lone wolf. He's only the lone wolf in contrast to the rest of the unit when he's just Mm -hmm. out on his own. That angle isn't interesting, (laughs) right? I would. And here he finds his supporting network of Jessica Drew, of of Jean, who is Karma (laughs) from the New Mutants, and uh, Lindsay McCabe. Right, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, weird, weird, like, crew of side characters. The the Jessica Drew thing is the funniest to me because the Spider-Woman comic, like, yeah. Had fifty issues. It floundered from writer to writer. No one ever really like sunk. Well, their teeth Claremont into wrote. It. Claremont did write that Spider. That he always plucks from the the characters that he enjoyed writing. Right. Pre yeah. X Men or as X Men. Yeah, he did like it. a dozen issues of it. But like that that series totally yeah. floundered around until like I think Nascenti and somebody else finished it by killing her, and then immediately they were they had the editorial ask to kill her. Yeah, and, and then immediately people were upset, so they brought her back like immediately, and then yeah. she's here. I don't think they say the word Spider Woman once. Here, which is no, really they allude funny. to her powers. It's very interesting. They, they allude like, to her powers, they but they don't, don't even say Jessica the word Drew. spider. It's just like all of a sudden Jessica Drew is in her evening gown, scaling a wall. Climbing a wall, yeah. And it will be like, due to her superpowers, she can scale a wall with Wolverine. And yeah. I think that's so funny that if you had no context for this series that, like, was not a hit. You know, this is not a popular series everyone knows. There's a very yeah. good chance you're just like, all right, Jessica Drew, she's a woman who sticks to walls. That's... And she never, like, she never suits up either, like, nope. in the classic Spider-Woman. Nope. Yeah. It is it is an interesting choice for it's sure. Well, even here. Karma, I think, too. Like, they don't really pull from her, I like, did. ties to New Mutants and the X-Men. They kind of just mention her, like, as she's got all these family connections in Madripoor. Um, Claremont plays it pretty subtle, actually, Honestly, with I, I all of the, these supporting characters. I miss Karma was even here. Like, oh, yeah, right. No, I'm, that's, yeah. that's the thing. I 100% like, it, did not know Karma was in these comics. Yeah, no, it's it's they don't make a huge thing of it other than like on occasion she can possess, you know, somebody's mind. Um I it, it's a really interesting question because the Wolverine stories that I think of that I like, uh they they either flashback to when he was sort of made into weapon, right? Mm-hmm. Like a Weapon X stuff that we're going to get to in a few years. Uh like you mentioned Old Man Logan, Apocalyptic Wasteland type stuff. I wonder if you're going to um, say the same. I I had just had a, a realization. I, him in Japan. I like him in his relationship to Japan and well, uh, with it doesn't the, like, it feel like Madripoor's trying to capture some of that, you know? I, uh, I I don't know. It doesn't have like I mean, it clearly doesn't have Frank Miller's like fetish for 
Japan, right? And the well, like ninjas, the, the trappings well, yeah. of like ninjas and honor and samurais and all that stuff, right? Like for good or bad, like he clearly had a, you know, a real interest in that stuff. This doesn't, I mean, honestly, if you named the characters slightly differently and drew them slightly differently, this city could be anywhere. It doesn't feel like a, it, it, that's what I mean. A Madripoor just feels a little anonymous to me. It could just be, it could mm. be an African city. It could be a European, like a rich European city. It could be Latveria, right? Like if Dr. Doom wasn't there. Oh, no. See, I don't get that. I don't get that vibe. Maybe not I Latveria, get but... um, a, a small island off of like the, in the Pacific, essentially. They spend a lot of time in these sort of like, I don't know, like, like hangout bars for, you know, the, the, the underbelly of the world. They define, you know, high town being this super well-off place in low town, mm-hmm. right? It's a very tale of two cities location. I, I do think there's a fair amount of Madripoor build here. It doesn't captivate me necessarily even the way like a genosha where I, it was very clear to me like what genosha is genosha what it has means, an identity yeah this is. is this is like singapore right like it's singapore without yeah, the actual yeah. real cultural signifiers mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. so I, it's an interesting question i mean i think like i again it's a problem it's a question i don't have a fantastic answer for because claremont kind of grounds the template for a wolverine story in this run you know, mm-hmm. like the template yeah. in very in very much becomes like, what do we do with Solo Wolverine? Well, we talk about when he's not with the X Men and he's on Madripoor and he's doing his patch thing. And is just this kind where of he just hangs crimes. out the whole time? Is this the whole series? I, not the whole time, no, not literally, but like it's a it's kind of the it's it's home base, right? Wow. In so many ways, okay. and it, it's been home base for you know so long. I mean, you know, by the time we get to issue sixteen here, we're sixteen issues into this run, and like that's that's kind of where he hangs out. I mean, issue yeah. ten I think is interesting. Um, it's Chris Claremont, John Buscema with Bill Sienkiewicz inks, and he does the cover too. So once you get Sienkiewicz in here inking, I think visually it, it helps a lot, actually. Um, it's such for a weird, as long as that weird pairing, isn't it? Like John Buscema is, is an artist I don't mind. You know, I, I know a lot of people are kind of down on him, but like he always does a good job. Like I, I, I'm never blown away by his pencils, but I'm never no. frustrated by them either. I think they, they are all very like, it, it is good, solid work, right? Yes. Um, but but that's like he's very solid, safe work. Whereas Sinkevitz is the opposite of that, right? Like he is wild and uninhibited and has this, mm-hmm. you know, larger than life style. And the pairing of the two of them is such a strange mix, right? I couldn't think of like two artists whose styles clash more, but uh, it, it works fine here. I, I don't think it becomes. I do like, like it. I yeah, do it does, like it. It doesn't you know? elevate either of them. I think it's actually like. Oh, I, I, I think know. it elevates Bushema. I, I do. Yeah, because see, you get it's... these moments of, you know, Wolvie, even just his facial expressions, where you can see the Sienkiewicz eyes just mm, exaggerated sure. to a degree. Yeah, just yeah. this, like, the Wolverine and his rage. The hair. And, and kind of the, <laughs> the movement of that, the hair. I think the that stuff come, pops yeah. a little bit more. Than, it, it doesn't give you the full Sienkiewicz effect, though. No, definitely not. Writing and inking, like, an issue of New Mutants, you know. But I, I actually do think it's it benefits from that. Plus, the story in 10 is a big flashback to Wolverine v. Sabretooth. And I guess, actually, here's the thing. For me, Wolverine stuff is often most interesting when it is, like, what was his past like? Because that's the enigma, and that's the history here. And issue 10 does the thing of splitting present-day Wolverine, kind of busting up some crime stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And kind of this mystery of, you know, there's it's today's matters for some reason. And it's a flashback to this time Sabretooth murdered his then girlfriend, the Indian or Native American, um, maybe she's not Native American. It might be in Canada. I'm no, she's on that. It's Apache. She says Apache. Apache. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Silver Fox, right? And it, that the history part of it, especially at this point in Marvel, is very interesting because we don't know much about that, right? We get these illusions in like Mutant Massacre, even to to Wolverine and Sabretooth having a history, but that has not been built up yet. 
So that yeah. stuff I actually mm-hmm. think is an effective use of a Wolverine space. Now it's intersecting here with present day, just kind of anonymous Wolverine fighting baddie hench guys, right? And they're shooting at him on docks, and it's just like stuff's exploding. And I don't know. I can't. I can't get invested in that part of the plot. I suppose. Yeah, it, it's a weird. Uh, so. But him fighting in the snow with Sabretooth, yeah, that, I'm invested that in. part's okay. It, it's just so strange. Like, Claremont, for all of his strengths, and he has a million strengths, I think has just this enormous flaw of, like, not knowing how to pace a comic book. <laughs> like, he has never been a strong, like, pacer of, of a comic book. And this is just one of those weird things where it's he's like... A pacer of, he's a pacer of long narratives. I, I sure, think on a yeah, single yeah, issue yeah. level, yeah, which has always been point. always been my complaint about him right but you know that yeah. that does not mean that overshadows everything that he is doing like he deserves all the credit in the world for a million things that no one else has done but um yeah the, the flashback flash forward thing we've seen that in other comics done pretty successfully it it doesn't add anything here it just makes me like all right let me i don't you're fighting guys in a bar let me get back to the saber tooth thing well, because the, what, the idea though the the attempted intersection yeah the, the very end the flashback is what it, it the flashback is Sabretooth kills Wolverine's girlfriend, Silver Fox, on his birthday, on Wolverine's mm-hmm. birthday, and yeah. it becomes a cycle yeah. of every birthday, Sabretooth is going to do something horrible to Wolverine in this sort of, you know, cycle of violence that they are linked in and locked into, right? Yeah. And what we find by the end of the present day stuff is, it's I actually do like this twist quite a bit, yeah, is Wolverine good, is yeah. saved. Wolverine and I think Jessica Drew are saved by someone. They don't know who. It's Sabretooth who kills the people who were they were hunting and they were going to kill them, leaves a note for Wolverine that says, nobody gets to kill you but me. Yeah. It's a good Sabretooth Wolverine moment. It's a good and moment, yeah. I, I don't know that like visually and and pace-wise, that it plays perfectly, but conceptually, it's quite good. I, and the thing that is, like, most interesting to me is, is this the first hint that we've had that, like, Wolverine's 100 years old? <laughs> um, I don't know that it's the first, honest. Well, because, I, because I this mean, takes does, place does it in have kind to be of, 100 based on what we see? Like, I don't know that no, he needs to be that it, old. It, it didn't realize, I, I didn't, well, kind of, right? It does feel like frontier times, right? Like, it has that vibe of, It's you Canada. Know, I, I feel like that's just kind of what... It is. It's definitely in like the, in the Great North too, right? It could be like it could be 1930s or it could be like 1890s, right? Like it's, it's ambiguous. Some, it's somewhere in there, but he's definitely like considerably older than he looks, right? He's you know it's the 80s and well, he's not 35. We right? are about to get to a Chris Claremont, Jim Lee issue that will definitely make canonical. Uh, the idea of Wolverine being quite a bit older than maybe you would have anticipated. So if that hasn't already been documented, and I yeah. suspect maybe it has, and I think uh, it's definitely about to. So it, it, it's idea. something Claremont's aware of and has plotted for him. Yeah, 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 and that's fun. Like I, I think that's a really cool and interesting idea for Wolverine, right? Like a, a character who like is weirdly, I, I don't know, like has never quite lived up to all of the very fascinating some of his like parts he has like a million interesting touchstones and so many cool details about him that like that carry him through for me and it's not like i dislike wolverine but he never quite lives up to as like on the page right like actually reading wolverine comics um I don't know. I, I, I guess it's where I'm just looping back to the beginning of this conversation. So this this is. I do want to. I do want to just tie it off too by saying I actually think one Wolverine style story that works quite well that we're going to see a lot of in the future, and it, there's even some stuff we skipped over, like the Wolverine Kitty Pride miniseries, um, is the Wolverine Lone Wolf and Cub thing, right? Where it's Wolverine yeah. gruff father figure and yep. then there's the cub right and in mm-hmm. this case it's usually a young mutant girl <laughs> it's typically what winds which, up being which i don't get the pervy like older dude thing from him which is really nice like i don't 
Oh no, no, really played yeah. into that. With the exception of him just smooching Jean Grey when we just saw that Inferno, that's like one of the very handful, small handful of moments where I'm like cringing at Wolverine in his like. You, aggressive... you were cringing at that because it was um, forced uh, on Jean Grey. <laughs> yes, but it. I mean, you're right. Yes, like ask the woman first. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> uh, but with, and narratively, I do understand. Like they built up this romance between yeah. these two characters. Yeah, yeah. It's not like there's not a history there. Um, mm. So not to defend. Uh, I'm just saying that I actually. Like, I understand that, why like, it happens. That, you know, these young mutant women that he kind of, like, is protective over, there is not a a, a gross leering, you know, like, he, no. he is not, he's not sexually interested in Kitty Pride, and that does not come across, right? Like, no. it is purely a paternal, platonic kind of... Well, and that's uh, what you see in caring. Logan, the film that was so good, right? It's the Lone Wolf and Cup thing, I think, actually works pretty well for him. Uh, it just, it doesn't really have that, actually, element too much with his supporting cast, maybe a little bit here and there. Um, but so, all right, so issues 14 through 16, I kind of toss in on the end here just for like a feel for what this series kind of becomes post-Claremont. Um, it's written, but this is actually like, so it's three issues and like technically a six-part saga. It's written by Peter David. We got art here by, um, who is it? We got Inks by Sienkiewicz, but it's, oh, it is art by Bushema. Um, and it's just like, it, it it's a full-on supernatural thing. You know, yeah. we get Wolverine mm-hmm. versus, you know, mystical creatures and vampires and this and that. Um, I these I just don't these these issues I, do not sink their claws into me you know pardon the pun uh hardly one there, bit a, I, I just totally of, lose focus yeah I, you know what again if this sounds cool to you it's probably going to be very readable and it just yeah. doesn't to me um what one thing I wanted to call out is on fourteen some of the, like the worst modern coloring I feel like we've seen Gregory Wright interesting does like every person who is not white is a sickly gray or green like every you know there's like a black man in this there's a bunch of asian characters and they all get like the absolute most disgusting coloring and it's some of the worst mm. we've seen like even compared to you know like every native american just being colored like hot pink <laughs> it is you yeah know, very right. very awful um and then the lettering tom brusenak here some of like i usually don't notice the lettering it's pretty bad here it's like he um he letters everything with this really like italicized style, and it's really yeah. clumped together. And at first, the the first time I noticed it was when um, it's like a scene at a bar where it's clearly a ton of exposition, and I was like, "Oh wow!" Well, he just had to pack in a ton because Claremont writes too much, and like he had to fit all this in. But as the issues right. go, I'm like, "Oh no!" Here, this page he had all the room in the world, and it's still crowded. And it, I don't know, it was a little tough for me to read. Um, That's interesting. Yeah, I know the coloring. You're hundred. You're spot on. It's like it, the next like the next issue. It bad. immediately switches and it gets better someone else comes in to color but that yeah and you know what the overall coloring is not bad on the issue like the the color palette he uses is not bad with the exception of skin tones where it's just like the white people look fine if it was just this thing where everyone looks sleazy maybe you know that's a little better but like white white folk do not look uh they they just look like they have normal naturalistic skin skin coloring and everyone else is pretty pretty bad here um but then uh yeah, Glennis Oliver comes in and it's fine. It's, it's but I work. okay, yeah, no, for sure. I I will say like if you are a big Wolvie head, and I think I've asked this before, like definitely write to us in the Slack or at my marvelous here, um, at gmail dot com. Like I would be curious to know some more Wolverine solo series stuff that uh, fans really dig that maybe could hook us on the character more. Because I think otherwise, for our part, like. I want to explore a little bit more of the Larry Hammer written stuff. I think that's going to be good in the 90s. Um, Obviously, we're going to read, like, the Weapon X stuff, in, uh, which actually is published in Marvel Comics Presents. But otherwise, I mean, we're not going to read a ton of, like, his solo series. So uh, let me know what you think there. But let, yep. otherwise, let's move on here to uh, the big finish to the Captain Saga Ooh, by Mark baby. Grunewald. 
and uh, and team. Karen Dwyer wrapping this up on art. We got inks by Al Milgram. Colors here by Gregory Wright, ironically. And uh, Captain America 350 is the big end of the John Walker is Cap saga of Captain America. Oh wait, it's the same the color. I did not pick up on that. Oh wow, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I didn't I, I didn't have the I didn't notice the same issues here. So. I know. Well, they're very different issues, or they're very yeah. different uh, stylistically as well. It's very colorful. Um, this is a. I, did you wind up reading more of this run uh, as as advertised? No, as I'm fresh. I'm, I'm like, I, I don't know. We read so much for the it show helps. that, like, it's it's tough for me to like get the motivation. And there's so many other things. It, it, it's definitely one of those ones. I like. I was reading it today, and I was like, man, I'm gonna be excited. I, I guess my thinking usually with this is like, I'm gonna wait till this is pretty far in my memory, and then go back and read the whole thing again, right? So that like these issues aren't quite so repetitive so probably a year or two from now but like man i love this run like i'm really really digging this run um well and there's a lot of reference points and just like even by the end when john walker is in a room with all the villains he's encountered over the series you know we haven't necessarily read stories with all those characters like the resistance uh or a group of mutants mm -hmm. who show up in this who i uh, they're in th issue 346 which i just reread for some uh, X-Men stuff I'm doing over on YouTube. And, like, these issues are very good. Like, this run, it, it adds a lot. It, it builds a lot to the world. Um, but 350 brings everything to a close. And basically where we are heading into this is John Walker is snapping, right? Mm -hmm. Because his parents were killed by the Watchdogs. He's gotten significantly more violent, you know, killing some opponents of his. He's kind of being tabled by the government who's, like, basically, like, he lost a battle with a uh, Flag Smasher. So they're mad at him for a whole host of reasons. But also they're like, we can't control this guy anymore. Um, and we also have Steve Rogers stepping in and finally just being like, all right, something needs to be done. And then, to top it off, we have the return of good old Johan, a.k.a. The Red a, Skull, a little, who we did bum. see die back in Captain yeah. America number 300. Yeah, like four, right? four and a half, five years ago in real time. Yeah. I'm a little bummed that the front cover says the dramatic return of the Red Skull, because I think it's teased out really well in the comic itself. In the cover, It doesn't kinda... need to be spoiled on the cover. <laughs> like, no. it's not... Yeah. The issue does not merit that, the, the, I don't think. I mean, and the issue already has the, uh, the draw of, like, you've been building to the two of these yeah. guys fighting for years, right? That is a big yeah. enough draw for this. Um, I just want to say, I, I think... Mark Grunewald, this is like, this is not the only way that this functions, but this is one of the like platonic ideals of how superhero comics can function for me. He strikes okay. the perfect balance of like silly over the top, mm. you know, like costume men punching each other while being like still grounded in enough of a reality and character that I care about it, right? That it doesn't mm -hmm. become absurd. And I think that's so hard to do, you know, because it's either this or you go... I don't know. I'm I'm trying to think like what else. Well, I mean, th this is the like, like I love Daredevil, right? Those Frank Miller things. I, there's a ton of yeah. comics that I've loved that we've read, but like they don't read quite as much. Like Daredevil, I don't know how to put it. It doesn't read quite as like big silver golden age superhero to me, right? It doesn't have that like um, like, like super... the fun factor of like yeah, of the nostalgia. I, I, you mean? Um, maybe not even nostalgia. I'm trying to think how I can. And put it like Daredevil feels like it's kind of its own thing using the trappings of a superhero comic, right? Okay. Like, and like same with Panther's Rage, Starlin's cosmic comics, right? This feels mm -hmm. like this like unfiltered superhero comics, right? Like it is purely uh, like. I wonder if part of that is Cap has roots there, right? Right. Cap yeah. Is yeah. a Simon Kirby creation from the forties. So C compared to like, I, I mean, does. this is it's my own narrow, you know, like. A definition of what like a quote-unquote superhero comic looks like. okay it's kind of like well when, i'll tell you i mean there's watching... a scene here it, not to like just just yeah, there's please, a scene please. here where cap 
jumps in front of a truck, saves three children. Oh my god! Then dives, saves a baby, and, and the apple, apple pie. pie. Catches the apple pie. That that moment it's is so, so funny. It's like, very old fashioned and funny, but it's also like it doesn't feel absurd. No, because you know? I mean, because you, you know that he's like winking at it a little too. Like he's having oh, yeah, fun with, the with it, but pie, it's also not just it's not just a joke. But it is a joke, you know? It, it, mm-hmm. Okay, I, I guess the comparison is to, like, when superhero movies feel self-conscious about being superheroes, like the original X-Men movie, right? Versus <laughs> okay, something like... Them. <laughs> right. Versus something like Civil War, where it's just like, hey, you know what? This is ten costume superheroes all punching each other at an airport, right? Like, and this is unabashedly like, hey, it's just fun to see, like, these sil- it, yeah. it's a silly premise, and we're not, like really hiding it much anymore right but this is superheroes i I guess that's maybe what i think where this just feels like it's not trying to be anything else it's just the like it's when like spider-man comics are at their best for me like craven's last hunt is one of the best spider-man comics but i don't maybe view it as much as like a traditional like superhero story if that makes sense i don't know craven's last hunt does not is not a traditional superhero story yeah i mean almost only in the the way that you know like in this false dichotomy i'm setting up in my head you know, of what is and isn't a superhero story, right? So I, I guess maybe I should redefine it as just, you know, kind of this, like, classic idea of, you know, like the Alan Moore Supreme stuff, right? Like, where he really... I, I guess maybe it is. It's the stuff that calls back to the original heyday of, like, what yeah. superheroes are without, right. you know, and, and almost modernizes it without losing that touchstone of, um, you know, what they were in, like, the 40s, 50s, 60s. Yeah, yeah, it's that core... Of, of what they were and yeah. then trying to tell it because I, I do think you know for uh, cap 350 it's not it's not like it's all throwback like i actually think no, the no. stuff with red skull talking about his new plan and kind of wearing the face of a businessman and accumulating political power that stuff's very modern and very yeah. uh uh contextually relevant um as well as it, relevant like there's a there's a bunch of panels here where i'm like you could cut this out and throw it on Twitter in a political conversation and sure. it would not look out of line oh, I mean, when, from the Red Skull, right? The, the moments where he really, like, hints at his Nazism, right? That he is yeah. a, like, a dyed-in-the-wool Nazi, right? This is not just, like, the trapping of the character. Really hit, mm-hmm. right? Like, it does not just feel yeah. like, um, you know, like, sometimes, like, Hellboy can have Nazis, but it is almost like an aesthetic flavoring, right? Like, he is, like... Nazis like Nazis is zombies. It's like they're a genre as opposed to, like... Yeah, yeah, you know, exactly. Like, where, Red like, Skull, it's an ideology. Right, like, he brings up his, you know, Aryan face a lot, and he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll do well with this, like, you know, strong Aryan, uh, you know, like, the, <laughs> Steve Rogers' strong Aryan features will serve me well mm-hmm. in the new America, and, like, mm-hmm. that stuff hits, that stuff hits with a relevance while still being, like, big and silly, and, like, it's a fundamentally very silly idea, right, like, uh, John Walker walks into this boardroom of these <laughs> six hero or six villains he fights from, like, the Watchdogs, Sweatshop, the Resistance all these people and like kills them one at a time while they have a big stupid superhero fight but it really works i think um the other thing that like mark grunewald just needs all the credit in the world for and karen dwyer i think is the pacing here the pacing is so good because this is a double-sized issue and it does not feel like it i think like it just moves and like i it's one of the things i appreciate most in uh in superhero comics well and there's right and there's a lot that needs to be done here but one thing that i think grunewald and, and dwyer get is we can because this is an oversized issue and it goes for like 40 plus and then mm-hmm. there's a backup about the red skulls history and kind yeah of which how is it came back kind of um, but it goes into like these silent moments you know of like mm-hmm. hey here's just the cap john walker fight you've been waiting 30 issues for let's give some space to that let's let that breathe no dialogue let's just let it move right and they yep. do that enough that it's actually very successful and then you get the big 
Steve Rogers speech before the committee, you know, what it means mm-hmm. to be Captain America, all the Red Skulls, you know, here's why I'm going to be the businessman now and, and accumulate political power in America. Like, you get the time for that in the pacing, and it doesn't feel like this massive undertaking to read it all. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I agree. It's it's well-paced. It's well-done. It's a very effective conclusion, too, because it doesn't it doesn't um, assassinate John Walker. Not to, no. you know, pun intended, because we get to 351, <laughs> we'll talk about it. Yeah. But, like, it, in 350, it's like, okay, it's time to move on. How do we do this in a way that uh, is is not just, like, undermining or resetting it and saying, like, what we just experienced didn't happen? Yeah. And I think 350 finds a clever way where it's like, okay, Red Skull was pulling the strings. Nothing that we just did uh, council-wise, committee-wise, can be trusted. You know, essentially, this was revealed. And then, uh, ultimately, Steve Rogers says, like, my decision that I made back in the choice, that still stands. He leaves, and it's not until John Walker runs up and says, uh, hey, Cap, actually, here's my journey. Here's what I've learned. Yeah, you like, I, I need to get America. out of your shadow, right? Like, me trying to yeah. live in your shadow is not has not worked. And Which I, I really appreciate that the progression and the journey of John Walker as a character is what resolves getting Cap back in the, the red, white, and blue, yeah. you know? Man, I like that character, you know? Like, I, <laughs> like I, you know, I, I think John Walker is just, like, such a fascinating guy, right, for, like, a very flawed character. Yeah, he's right. incredibly flawed, right? Like, he's kind of racist, he's kind of sexist, and he's... He's, he's now, like, he's, he's super he's a violent. murderer. Well, um, you know, I, I will say most of the people he killed... Uh, you know, it was a group of white supremacists who just gunned down his parents. Like, I'm not quite so squeamish about like, oh man, he really tainted his name by <laughs> murdering the, you know, the KKK. Zach, Zach when yeah. terrorists kill your parents in front of you, it, listen, how are you going to heal if you don't <laughs> just have a conversation with them? How are you ever going to heal with yes, those individuals? Exactly. No, yeah. I, I agree. There's it. You know, he's he's more Punisher esque than um you know supervillain by the end of this. But yeah, it's a it's a good conclusion. It does spin into issue three fifty one, Captain America three fifty one, and this one. Uh, the the main takeaway here is uh John Walker gets <laughs> uh, assassinated yeah. on a podium giving immediately, a speech. which which I was just like wow, like cool that Grunewald has plans here, right? Mm-hmm. Because, like, this this whole saga feels kind of, like, wrapped up. Here's the beginning of a new chapter, which is kind of the old chapter again. Yeah. And what's what's going to happen to John Walker? And then, like, oh, there's some big mystery here, right? Like, so some uh, one of the watchdogs comes in, I think, and murder, like, assassinates him. And then one of somebody else? I can't remember. Then, I, no, then Scourge. It's like, uh, yeah, it's like uh, the end of Departed. So, like, the watchdog, you know, assassinates John Walker as the watchdog's running away and then threatening a woman he captures hostage. Have you? Uh, a new Scourge. No, yeah, Scourge? Scourge. Are we saying yeah. this? Yes, yeah, Scourge. <laughs> a new Scourge yes, runs right, in. Is scourge, Justice yeah. is served, watchdog. And then Cap's like, oh, man, Scourge is back. <laughs> yeah, right? right, exactly. Um, it's like, uh, did you ever watch Aeon Flux back on MTV? No, but I, I hear I should. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's incredible. And it's only like 13 episodes, but they have one little short film, like a silent short film of assassins where it's just like following one little super agent who then gets murdered. And now the new protagonist is the person who murdered that one. And then they get murdered. And then it just keeps like switching protagonists to the person who gets killed the last one. And you just keep like, it's just an exercise in like how audiences just root for whoever is the protagonist at the moment. It's it's very good. Um, yeah, th- this one felt, you know, like the Nick Fury story. I kind of was like, okay, whatever. I, th- this so is... it kind of ties into Nick Fury versus S.H.I.E.L.D., which is yeah. a six-issue mini that runs around the same time. Yeah. Uh, the only takeaway that I want to call out there is Nick Fury spots up a bunch of corruption in mm-hmm. S.H.I.E.L.D., and he's basically like, I need to burn it all down and build it back up again because this machine is too corrupt. 
and that's what that saga is about. So Cap then kind of gets tied into that. Do you ever have a moment? I, I don't know. Maybe you've read more 616 Marvel comics, but do you ever get the moment where um, Nick Fury walks in to the scene and you're like, oh, right, he's white. Because I have that all the time where like <laughs> no, really the like the canonical version of my head is the, the ultimate one. Mm-hmm. And like this is the other one to me. And that's that's not I mean, true I'm sure of that's anyone true else for a, a huge swath of readers. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's between that and the MCU, right? Obviously, have just conditioned me for that. But, like, he walked in here, and I was like, oh, right, right, right. That's what he looked like. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, well, the, no, the, end, the yeah. end of this issue also reveals that, like, the, the John Walker assassination is something else is going on because his body is missing, right? That's that's the yeah. big moment yeah. here. It's we're, not just We're the, not actually losing Johnny Boy. Yeah, if he, uh, if he just yeah. got assassinated, then I'd be like, well, that's a bummer. That's a weird way of just tying up these strings. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> you know? Right, for but, sure. No, that would be a yeah. bummer. Yeah. Um, but as it stands, it's quite good. Yeah. I think this cap run, again, definitely like one of the, the more highly recommended ones. Now, Grunwald's, again, he's going to stay on the title like forever, um, and we're going to check in here and there, but like we're definitely not going to read this whole run. So if you dug it, uh, keep going. See what happens. All right. Yep. Very next nice. time. On my Marvel this year, again, oh. we are going to read that Doctor so, Strange and Doctor Doom Triumph so graphic novel. All right, Dave, Dave, what do you, mm-hmm. do you really think I'm going to like it? Do you think I'm going to like, because I'm really, I, I'm like, it's one of these things that's way too built up in my head now. I think you, I think you built it up too much. I think you, you think built I built it up, it up too, too much. much. Okay, and you, it... you're probably going to be disappointed because your expectations are too high. I would say okay. if you had normal expectations, you would think it's pretty good. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'll, uh, I'll try to lower them before I read it tomorrow. I think. Yeah. <laughs> and then next we're going to read Iron Man 249, 250, which is the return of the Iron Man Doctor Doom Camelot trilogy. Uh, and then we're going to do some Excalibur. A little cross-time caper, see what's going on there in the pages. That's a of real Fairmont mixed Davis bag Excalibur. for people in the Slack, the cross-time taper. Because we, we've got some people, um, Dustin specifically, who have been in like Excalibur Defender. Like, loves Excalibur, read all of it, and then he got to this and was like, eh, kind of lost me. <laughs> so, yeah, like, I'm, I'm a little worried I'm going to have the same experience, because I... <sighs> I, I don't know. I'm not a huge Excalibur defender, um, but I did actually like the first 11 issues more than I remembered liking them. So I'm curious yeah. to see what happens. But, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it next time. Again, if you want to see all the comics we're reading or are going to read, you can see them in the show notes. You can support the show over at patreon.com slash mymarvelousyear for more from us. But uh, music for the show is by Disaster Piece. Mm-hmm. I'm Dave. You can find my stuff at Comic Book Herald. You can find Zach online on social at mymarvelousyear. And, uh, hey, if you want to hear us talk about, uh, well, I was going to say WandaVision, but that probably won't be relevant. But, you know, it's technically it'll still be there. It's up on the Patreon. That's, that's like yeah. a bonus. That's the thing we do, right? We're recording this around the time WandaVision launched. Uh, occasionally we'll put up bonus podcasts and conversations for patrons specifically. So if you want to hear us talk about WandaVision, even though this yeah, what, episode, I'm sure, will come out. One's up well now after. about the first couple episodes, and then uh, we're going to do another one when it wraps up to, you know, kind of final thoughts. Yeah, over on patreon.com slash mymarvelousyear. The reason we plug it so much is because that's uh, that's all the uh, monetary support we get. Oh, yeah. It's entirely listener-supported. And again, I am batting away supporters left and right, um, you know, so that we can stay listener-supported. I I wonder if it will be out by now, but we got to do trouble, Dave. It's not we didn't we didn't even just tiptoe over that goal. Like the people smashed that goal. We are well over there by the end of the month because it's going to happen. We're we're not there by the end of the month. I may uh, squeam out or squeam out. That's not a word, but, you know, you know what I mean? You squeamed it. Yeah. I squeamed right on out of that. I don't know what you're talking Uh, about. We do have to read trouble. So that's one of the Patreon goals we set up was. Uh, making us read a horrible, <laughs> horrible comic, or at least I here it is, uh, and that is a thing we're going to have to do. So you can oh, hear that yeah. over on Patreon as well. Ooh. Just make sure. Thanks make everybody sure, for make listening. Make sure the wife's not home when you read that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, oh, man, no! I'm sorry, nervous. gross. It's, I think it's teenagers. I'm sorry. I take that back. 
<laughs> there's yeah the whole thing's gross uh so we'll yeah we'll try to think of a way to talk about it that isn't uh, horribly offensive <laughs> and in the meantime uh we'll see you next year see you next year